When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Tennessee, second down and ten. Mahomes is in the gun. He's flanked by his running back, his arms extended, three wide, gets the snap, four-man rush, moves up, he gets a block, he runs to the near side, he's on the numbers, he breaks a tackle at the 30, comes to the near side, breaks another tackle, down the sideline, 25-20, got a block at the 10, cuts inside, five, he's in! What a run! Touchdown, Kansas City! Patrick Mahomes! A dazzling 27-yard zigzagging run! And the Chiefs have taken a lead 11 seconds before halftime. All right, welcome into Purple Daily. Jonathan, following the producer rules, which is whenever you can play Kevin Harlan, you play Kevin Harlan. And every time that I hear him now do a big play, I think of the time the guy was on the field. And he's drunk and he's at the 20. So a great Kevin Harlan call right there. In studio, former NFL quarterback, our journeyman correspondent, Sage Rosenfels, has found his way here to Minneapolis slash St. Paul, depending on what side of the room you're sitting in. Hi, listen, Sage. listening to Kevin Harlan, is, it's like a little bit of a heart attack in there. I mean, it's just sort of <laughs> yes. you're waiting for all of a sudden the, the, the sound to go blank. And then for you hear a loud noise and he's had a heart attack. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's something like Gus Johnson, another, he calls a lot of, uh, Fox, uh, games in the Big 12 conference. And, and he's one of the great, uh, callers of college football games that will get you pretty excited. So that, that was a great call. And that was a great play by a great player. Yes. The best player in the NFL, though not the MVP. I think that's Lamar Jackson, but I do think I agree. Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the NFL. And the low-key MVP is Matt Moore for keeping the ship afloat to get Kansas City that two-seed so they could be playing in Kansas City mm-hmm. yesterday and once again a two- or a one-seed in the Super Bowl. Matt so. Moore, who signed off the street had took last year completely out of football and then went and played the Vikings uh, uh, at home and got a huge, huge win. And, some, that, and that was one of the reasons the Vikings didn't get a bye That's right. uh, in, in the first round and with that number one and number two seed. They were close, uh, I would say, but that would have been one of the big losses, not, notwithstanding the couple early on, but midseason. That, uh, you're playing against another good team on the road, but their backup quarterback who didn't play football last year is starting you got to win that game. The Vikings did not end up 10-6, end up getting a sixth seed 
on and on and on. And that's where I want to start with you, Sage, is the lens that I am now looking through everything with when it pertains to can you be a Super Bowl caliber team, can you get back to the NFC Championship, all those things for the Minnesota Vikings, is how do you get to a one or two seed? I don't really want to hear about anything else because all the teams since 2012 have been either a one or two, and the last team to be a five or a six seed to win the Super Bowl had Aaron Rodgers in his prime in 2010, and so you have to go way, way back. And there's another thing, too, about this, that most of the teams who are making the Super Bowl now, I know that Denver was the outlier here, but most of the teams, even through the history of the game, outside of a handful of other situations that were kind of weird or fluky... Have a great quarterback. They have a great quarterback, but they also have great offenses. The AFC thing, where it's been, what, Tom Brady... Ben Roethlisberger or Peyton Manning in the AFC for like 17 of the last 19 years and or now something Mahomes. like that. And now Mahomes. And maybe you never hear one of those other names again. Uh, and a lot more Mahomes is coming up. But uh, he is a great quarterback. How long he can stay healthy for, I don't know. He's bigger. When I, when I first saw him play, I thought he doesn't seem that big. But mm-hmm. I think he is. He seems to sort of brush guys aside sometimes yeah. and play. He's got some just natural strength. He doesn't seem that big. But his arm strength and the way he can throw and the way he's got this head coach dialing it up and using that great player to the best of his strengths and always a well-coached offensive line. That's the thing with Andy Reid. Mm-hmm. He has good teams. One is because if you have a really good offensive line, that helps the entire football yeah. team. And I think Andy Reid is one of the great line coaches in the NFL. But he's got this quarterback who really is special. And, uh, and, and, and how uh, San Francisco slows them down, I'm interested because San Francisco is the number one secondary in the NFL, 169 yards a game giving up passing the football. Yep. That's incredible especially when you won 13 games in the regular season. You winning games, you giving up some yards in the fourth quarter because you're up by 10 points, you're up by 14 or 17, and you'll just play a little cover, too. And, you know, you'll get those completions up. At 169 yards a game, they're making everybody fight for every yard, even in those wins. And uh, that will be a really, really fun piece to look at in this game and obviously talk about for the next two weeks, which uh, you know a lot of the country is going to talk about this game for the next two weeks. And obviously for the Vikings, how we relate to our current situation mm-hmm. of where this team is, what it needs, and can it be in that spot next year? Uh, you know, That's what we're talking about today. So there's two conversations to be had as it pertains to these two teams. With Kansas City, it's all about whether you move on from your version of Alex Smith, which is Kirk Cousins. And try to find your Mahomes. Of course, Mahomes right now looks like an all-time great quarterback, so it's not super, super easy. But could you find someone who is just as good as Kirk Cousins on a rookie contract that could potentially allow you to spend a lot more money Mm -hmm. in a lot of other places to build up a totally stacked roster? And that's what Kansas City's been able to do with an all-time great quarterback is build up their stacked roster, pay the guys they need to pay, bring in somebody like Frank Clark, pay Tyreek Hill to stick around, and, and so forth. Also, he's on the rookie deal, and he is the best player in the league. So that's the perfect cocktail for being in the AFC Championship last year, being in the Super Bowl. And then even when he does get paid, he's probably good enough, so you'll be back. This won't be the last Super Bowl yeah. Patrick Mahomes It is, is amazing, though, the aspect of the, the advantage teams have with those first-round yep. quarterbacks. The problem with the Vikings, at least for one more season, is there's a guaranteed... 28 or 30 million dollars yeah. or wherever that number is that is you, you can't do anything with that you could trade it you know it's maybe one of those situations where teams like yeah we'll pay him 10 you'll pay the the 20 uh but that's not gonna help with the vikings that much so 
even if they draft somebody who they think is going to be the future of this franchise, if they don't think it's Kirk Cousins, that's going to be the you know Pat Mahomes and going to rely on the quarterback. Uh, they need a lot of help around the current guy because I look yes. at him as yep. said Alex Smith or. Jimmy Garoppolo, what he did last night. He didn't have to do very much. That'd be nice no, not that if much. Kirk Cousins in the playoffs and the regular season had some games where he was throwing the ball 15 times because uh, they could run the ball for 200 yards and have all these running backs and all these designs and, and you get the ball to these fast wide receivers who can take him to the house. And the creativity of the running game last night was a beautiful thing to watch. It really was. A guy who's been cut. This was not Adrian Peterson. This yeah. was not a young Ricky Williams. This was not <laughs> Eric Dickerson. All right. This guy ran for 200 and some yards last night and was cut by six teams. Yes. Six teams. That's it. I mean, it is incredible what they did with a rotation of running backs. And then you watch him run. You're like, how did that guy not make teams? He flies. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's like Aaron Jones. He runs a lot like Aaron Jones. I mean, he just gallops and he's got some serious juice to him. But the way they put that running game together with Kyle Shanahan, with Mike McDaniel, who's the run game coordinator, uh, John Benton, who's the O-line coach. It is, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And it's rare that you get to go into, and against a Packers defense that wasn't terrible against the run this year. Um, you know, and, and they did a lot of things that caused the Vikings problems. One thing we talked about during the season, by the way, is they were up the field a lot in the Vikings yep. games, which made the bootleg game harder, right? Yep. Yep. Hard to get outside. But well, allowed them to be able to run the first time when they were at Lambeau. And the 49ers just, uh, you know, just kept running the football with those upfields, Darius Smith up the field. Mm-hmm. And there were some big, Big lanes in there. Uh, so the whole, that was sort of a masterpiece of the modern day running game. And by the way, it wasn't just zone. It, you know, you watch, we watch Vikings games and we watch this Kubiak Rick Dennison thing. There's some, some, uh, great runs. They do a lot of inside, outside zone, occasional. That wasn't a mix of all types of things and yeah. things that with all these jet sweeps and it was fast and there's, there's so much speed. That's what this, uh, um, Vikings team doesn't have a ton of is like five wide receivers that all feel like they can run four, three, eight. Yeah. That's what it seems like. And that Debo guy is unbelievable Debo after Samuel, the catch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's like he's, a running back. He's a, he's like a running back out there. And then they got other guys who can just fly at wide receiver and the running backs are super, super fast. There's just such an explosive football team on the ground and Kansas City is an explosive football team through the air. Should be a great matchup. So with the two teams looking at them, through the view of how can the Vikings be them. With Kansas City, we agreed that there's really only the one route. That's not the game plan. The Vikings aren't going to win playing Kansas City football. Right. Does that make sense? The only thing you can really take away from them, because Kansas City football is set up your playmakers to get the ball, and then that guy does something stupid. And you you can only cover one of these tight ends, Travis Kelsey or one of these receivers for so long. Right. They got a couple guys who can roll out, too. You know, Tyreek Hill and... Number 17, those guys, are they look like sprinters right. out there. Right? And he's rolling around, and those guys can come back to him, and they seem to have chemistry with him after a couple of years of playing together. A lot of street ball out there. Th- that's really hard to find the Mahomes. Yeah. But it's, it's about the potential of having that cap space that it would give you to move on from Kirk and hoping that the next quarterback could either be as good with the cap space or better in certain types of situations. You're, you're telling me that this offseason, over the course of the next, what is it, is it May 2nd or something is the draft, usually it's the first couple of days of May, that you're at, you're going to ask me to study all of these guys and can we <laughs> oh, find... Oh yeah, you're watching tape again. Can we find the next Pat Mahomes in the second round? Everyone goes, how did they miss him in the second round? Because, you know... 
the the MVP was not drafted, you know, super super high. The guy Lamar Jackson probably yes. going to be the MVP this year. Even yeah. Mahomes fell a little bit in the first round, but you know, maybe I, I can find someone who's a diamond in the rough. And uh, you know, I, I should try. I should I should probably put my you know drafting quarterback skills to the test, and then we can keep track over time and see how terrible <laughs> I, I do. I know, because we're all kind of bad at it, but I did dig up a tweet from me yesterday saying Mahomes was the best quarterback in that draft. I, I will not comment on any of my Johnny Manziel takes, but... Uh... You know what's really tough? You know what's really hard? <laughs> Is I trained the Washington State quarterback recently in Colorado for about five days, and their plays are like this. A96. That's the whole play? That's the whole play. Okay, that's some sort of like vertical routes with a possible like comeback on the outside versus off coverage or something like that. Like that's it. They also have like a ninety two. You know, it's like, like those are their plays. And trying to get him ready for the Senior Bowl and SpongeBob picture right, when that's you're in West right slot three jets uh, uh, three jet you drive co and like explain to him what you're looking at what the three jet what the read is what the protection is what you know all these things they've never done that stuff before mm-hmm. and Pat yeah. Mahomes was in basically that offense with yes. more I definitely know that um, that's why his year off really helped his year as a backup I mean for Alex Smith yeah oh absolutely and but but also just really helped that. Uh, I think that his coach at, at Texas Tech was a little bit more uh, NFL, the Arizona coach. Yeah, Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury, but had some NFL concepts because he played some years in the league and he had more, so that it wasn't as big a jump. Probably protections, mm-hmm. if anything, were a little bit. That's what these college kids a lot of times don't understand is the complexity of NFL protections. Yeah. There's a lot going on out there. Yeah. And if you miss, you're, you're really in trouble. Um, with guys like Kirk, it's definitely a sack, but guys like Mahomes, occasionally they can miss and just sort of let it ride and go, well, I'm just going to go see if they're make sure, you know, well, eh, I'll, I'll make that guy miss and I'll go out, out here and run 35 yards for a touchdown <laughs> right. and look back at a right. guy, you know, that, that run, that run yesterday. Well, but the great, great players can do that every once in a while because you can't, you can't execute your way to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Occasionally you actually have to make some plays. And, uh, and, and even the the slower quarterbacks throughout history, even the Brady, even the Joe Montana, like Brady's Br- a total playmaker, right? right? I mean, they they have a Eli baller Manning mentality. Made, to Eli them. Manning it was definitely a baller. You know, I, I think uh, um, Case Keenum had a baller mentality. It just didn't have like all the talent in right. the arm of Tom Brady, and uh, you know, but but he was out there. You could tell that was like his natural instinct was to attack. You know, yeah. Um, and usually a team that wins the Super Bowl has a guy that does that. Garoppolo does do that. He has the ability to bring teams back. He's brought teams back something like four times four this times, year yeah. in the fourth quarter. Um, but he's also he's also been a heck of a game manager, and good for him for being a game manager. What a great spot to be in. Uh, and and so he do, but he does that have a, that ability to put his team you know on their own ten yard line. You got fifty five seconds. He got one timeout, get us in field goal range. He's done that once or twice this year. So, you know, that is something that is huge. That is, that's the clutch aspect of it. There's game manager and there's clutch. And sometimes clutch is being a playmaker. Sometimes it's stepping up in the fourth quarter in the red zone, those types of things. And, and this is the frustrating part for Vikings fans about Kirk Cousins is that he has these games that just keep you from being a one or two seed that Jimmy Garoppolo did not have. Games where the quarterback simply does not show up to play in that game and takes sacks and has turnovers and makes mistakes and cannot move the ball at all. And that's what happened against San Francisco. And that's what happened against Green Bay twice. That's what happened against Chicago. And for the most part, it happened against Kansas City. 
and then does not often come through at the very end. One game against New Orleans doesn't erase a lot of other games where he had potential game-winning drives, and it's a kick in the stomach for Vikings fans to have had a team that was worthy of being 13-3 and and a schedule that set them up for that and statistics in their points for, points against, but just got no-show performances from their quarterback in too many incidences where there was no overcoming that for the rest of the team. And I was looking at Jimmy Garoppolo, and this is where they part ways a little bit, I think. I think they're similar, but where they part ways is that Garoppolo faced a lot of good teams this year. They actually had a tough schedule and yet found a way to show up in most or all of those games. Even when he was missing, George Kittle and Emmanuel Sanders, I think, lost because his field goal kicker missed a field goal against the Seattle Seahawks in that Monday night football game. He beat Aaron Rodgers in the regular season where his defense was great, but he was also great. And then in the game that made all the difference, when New Orleans was going crazy all over their defense and scores 46 points, Garoppolo gets the ball at the end of the game, makes a play to George Kittle. They end up winning the game 48-46. And even playing Russell Wilson in Seattle in the last game of the year, they get ahead in that game. They hang on at the very end. That sets them up to have a one seed. And even against the Vikings, Garoppolo got them ahead, and then the running game finished that that game off. So when Vikings fans are looking at San Francisco and saying, well, yeah, I mean, Garoppolo's not that much better than Kirk Cousins, or look, his box score stats aren't as good. Cousins is missing some fundamental things that correlate to winning, like you mentioned, whether it's mobility or the or a baller mentality or not feeling the pressure or just being able to get the ball out quick. And a lot of these things are short with him. And I think that that makes the decision of whether to sign him to a contract extension really challenging for the Vikings because he gave you 10 wins. He gave you 100-plus quarterback the stats, rating. The stats are beautiful. Right. They're right. really good. It say, was even it was fifth top, by PFF. Yeah, fifth, fifth best quarterback. Of the year, but I think if you ask most people to watch all the games, they wouldn't say he's the fifth. I mean, he and Pat Mahomes are not in the same category, right? 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 Russell Wells not in the same category. Um, I, I think when and that's where numbers are so scary with, with 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 how you rate people, and this is why people miss on quarterbacks. Like who has that sort of it? Like I always thought, Drew Brees, and, and amazing, he might end his career with one Super Bowl appearance. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers might end his career with one Super Bowl appearance. This sh- goes to show how crazy. What, uh, what, what Tom Brady did with nine is just yes. insane. Nine of them, right? So we're trying to get the, the Vikings to, to one and get Kirk to one. But it's just, it's just so, so hard. But at some point during those seasons, the quarterback has to make a couple really clutch great plays. Yep. It just sort of happens in those years. Yep. Even Rex Grossman had a moment in the NFC Championship game against the Saints. He had the perfect situation. Terrible weather. Going against Drew Brees and Reggie Bush and that thing right. that should be on turf. So they had that, that, that was, I think that was a one, two situation, but it was a perfect situation for him. And he hit a tight end on a corner post and sort of moved the safety. And it was a tight window throw in terrible weather and made a clutch, clutch play. I think it was in the second half, but it sort of was one of the main scores that made them win that football game. He made a clutch play. You have to make some clutch plays at the end of the games. And Garoppolo, as you're right, he has done that this year. The thing, the reason the Packers won more games this year is because. They weren't asking Aaron Rodgers to be clutch all the time. It was like just, you know, we'll have the running game. Our defense was, they were so much better defensively than they had been in the past. And you don't have to bring out the magic every single play. And I think that's what got him in trouble last night. He was trying to do too much, 
too early. He, yes. he got sacked. He had a, a double slant to the left. They replayed it. He got sacked. He has jersey pulling down and, and run down by somebody. He had the outside slant. Now, it's, it's not the most beautiful look because it's, I think it was against Richard Sherman or a corner and it was his running back. But Aaron Jones runs. He's a really, really good route yeah. runner. Yeah. And I think Aaron was a little concerned that somebody was going to jump it. He throws that ball. It's a first down. I think it was a third and three or third and six or something. He has that play, tries to do more and then mm-hmm. get sacked. And he, you know, that throwing that interception at the end of the first half, that cost them points. So he was trying to do too much too early. The, the great quarterbacks, they learn that the, you know, the, the game is sort of a marathon and you don't have to, and the older you get, the harder it is to do it on a, on a common, on a regular basis. Yeah. And right now, yeah. Russ and Wilson can like sort of do it the whole game. Yeah. But as he gets older, like it's, when he gets, when he turns 40, he, he might play for a really long time, by the way. But when he turns 40, that's how Peyton Manning won his late Super Bowl, is by sort of allowing the team to sort of go. Now, if he, if he needs that two-minute drive, he's going to be money on that two-minute drive and, and work his way down the field. But you know, to not have to bring out all the magic stuff, uh, you know, first, second quarter on, on first and second down, let the team sort of you know, dictate who wins and loses in those battles. Yeah, and even uh, John Elway late in his career didn't have the huge statistics, but won the Super Bowls in part because they built up their roster, and then he did enough. Illegal. Was Wasn't upon. it illegal or something? Didn't they? Didn't they like? Uh, there was no salary cap thing at that point. I think they got busted. Um, it was right around be. like when there was sort of a salary cap, but at the time it was sort of like, well, you know, we can sort of pay you, uh, <laughs> you know, give you a car dealership over here. Oh, and sure. Yeah. It was like it was that, like early salary cap years. I think that goes on a lot in sports, like with Brady. Not with back at quarterbacks, it doesn't. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they don't give you car dealerships. Yeah. With Brady, there was a story a few years ago that no one cared about, where Robert. Craft, I believe, was funneling money through some doctor to Tom Brady, and everyone was like, "Yeah, who cares?" <laughs> like, yeah, that's circumventing the salary cap. Nah, who cares? Whatever. They've yeah. done worse. Um, but uh, to your point, needing the quarterback to step up at the biggest times yeah. has just always been a question with this team, and it does not with the Vikings. I mean, and and it does not disappear because of one win in New Orleans, in which he was great at the end. I mean, the throw to Rudolph, the throw to Thielen, he deserves all the credit for that. But as you make decisions going forward, you have to decide if your window is still open, if you can build a roster around Kirk Cousins that's ever going to be perfect enough to get you to the point where the San Francisco 49ers are, and if he's ever going to be able to make those plays in the regular season. What's weird to me is that, a lot of people look at the playoffs and then they decide what their conclusions are going to be. Oh, well, see, Derrick Henry got them there. Well, yeah, I mean, he was a big part of that. In the regular season, it was their play-action game with Ryan Tannehill that was getting them a lot of wins down the stretch because he was playing exceptionally, exceptionally well. So we have to look at what gets you to be a one or two seed. And then, as you mentioned, Rex Grossman went to a Super Bowl. Peyton Manning wasn't playing well, and he went to a Super Bowl. Why? Because they got to play at home the whole playoffs. That and their teams were loaded, and that's where Garoppolo was yesterday. So the question is, can the Vikings... So let's now let's not talk about the quarterback for a hot second. Let's go to the rest of the roster. Can they make? Can how can we get that San Francisco team? I mean, my God, you had they've it. got some two players. Years that's that's the reality. That D line two years ago. That D line is ridiculous, and the, the secondary is really really good. And you know they the way they run the football. I, I would love it if the Vikings uh, watched a lot of San Francisco film this offseason in Cubes and, and they sort of figured out what some of that stuff that Kyle's doing because there's some real yeah. stuff anymore in, in there. And 
And uh, and the Vikings do have an explosive running back. We, you know, we have a, we have a whole bunch of little backs that a whole bunch of backs that we like, and they're, they're different. But we got a couple of guys. Uh, you know, running game is a is a strength for us. But if they could add a little more creativity to it, I'd like to see Dalvin Cook in some of those holes. Uh, you know, last night that uh, the Forty ers were 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 carving up on that defense that the Vikings couldn't do that well against this year in the regular season. Well, I think if we're looking forward, we would say that the offense. Assuming that whoever takes over for Kevin Stefanski carries on a lot of the same things and then adds to it, adds new wrinkles to it, can still be pretty good. Yeah. And Kirk Cousins will have some regression. There's just no way around it. I mean, when- can, can we say this also? This is the first year of this offense, and this is Kyle's fourth year, right? So you have to sort of build, the, yeah. you know, the, you have to have the sort of the building blocks of how the whole, all these things work and the players to sort of get the details. And it just takes years and reps and games and games and, you know, the, the left tackle's been there for a while, and a couple of the guys that they've all, uh, the running back's been there for a while. So everyone starts to get a real feel for it. Then you start adding pieces to that menu. Yes. Oh, well, now we'll do it with this type of jet sweep. Now we'll do it. We won't block the three technique instead of the mm-hmm. defensive end, and we'll do this, and it creates this type of hole. And, and they have a, a great creativity over there that has taken time. And I got to think the, the Vikings will add a little bit more creativity to that running game this year. Right. So there's reason to think that they could still have a good offense. The, there's probably, a cap on how good that can be, even if they get a new left guard. One thing that they had this year was incredible health on offense. Adam Thielen missed some time, but their entire offensive line that started the season played in the playoffs, and that doesn't happen all that often. Even San Francisco lost their center, and they found a way to make up for it. But usually, if you have good health one year, it's a little bit of a struggle next year. We don't know if the person calling plays will be as good at calling plays as Kevin Stefanski was things like that. So, you know, there's always those questions. But even if we assume it's going to be a good offense, now there's a lot of holes to fix on the defensive side. Yeah, they, they well, they spent some draft capital last year. So we do have some inexpensive but yet very good offensive players Correct. right now. Correct, right. Two running backs on the cheap, right? right. Number two tight end, certain number one tight end. On but he won't the, be on the cheap for much longer. Yes, yeah, yeah, one of them. Okay. Wide receiver is expensive, right? But, but yep. after the top two... Very inexpensive, seems like to me, right? So, um, and the offensive line, they, they have a rookie center, so he's very inexpensive, but that's uh, it's an interesting offense, and this team is not getting any younger in these windows of, you know, adding more players, and this guy's going to want to get paid, and, uh, you know, some of the defensive players who are paid uh, well, uh, but not performing that well. Uh, there's going to be some, I think there's going to be a lot of change this offseason for Minnesota. I think so too, and that's why when we make the San Francisco comparison, I think it was. The last three years that the Vikings were San Francisco, they just didn't get there. Yeah, and now you're kind of not. You're kind of on the other side of the mountain a little bit. And this off season will be how do you get back to that level of team? And usually it doesn't happen in one year. And San Francisco had to be horrible for two years to get some of the talent that they had. So let's take a break. We'll come back. Let's take a closer look at this actual Super Bowl matchup and how your entire former coaching staff is now (laughs) in San Francisco. So we'll talk about that. Mahomes versus the San Francisco defense. Uh, It'll be fun to talk about when we return. Sage Rosenfels in studio here on Purple Daily. Hey there, it's Phil Mackey for Federated Mutual Insurance Company. And Federated is here to give business owners out there peace of mind. You pour your life and energy into a business and the last thing you want is for something to happen that puts you on the defense, and that's where Federated comes in. Based in Owatonna, Minnesota, over a century of experience in standing behind business owners. If you're a business owner and you want some more peace of mind, 
Go to federatedinsurance.com to find out more about your local federated marketing representative. Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. You can listen and win with the free Score North mobile app this month. One lucky winner will win a $200 gift card to Top Golf with prizes also available for Amazon.com and more. Register your app, listen to your favorite Score North content, and you could be a winner. Andy Reid's Kansas City Chiefs won 35 to 24 yesterday over the Tennessee Titans, booking their trip to the Super Bowl. And safe to say, Andy Reid won the press conferences today about. He was asked. How he celebrated their big win yesterday. Here's what he said. Did you take some personal time last night to enjoy this accomplishment along the way? Or had you spent a cheeseburger and went to bed? (laughs) Seems like a proper way to celebrate for that man. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you, Jonathan. Back here on Purple Daily, off the air, Sage Rosenfeld's breaking down how Patrick Mahomes makes sidearm throws. And, and Russell Wilson, we were, watching no a, we were watching a Russell Wilson highlight from a game this year, and it was the, it was the throw where he's running straight to his left, right down the like 30-yard line, and throws the ball the back, really out of bounds in the back corner of the end zone, and Lock, Tyler Lockett catches it, and one of the most amazing throws to, to to my left that I've ever seen. You know, Rogers just threw a few years ago into the Cowboys. That was incredible. Yes, yes. The distance and the accuracy, that's what's insane. Is the like forty yards, forty five yards, thirty six yards, like on a line with uh, unbelievable accuracy. Mahomes can do that, but he would drop it down sidearm. And mm-hmm. this is where I at the time I said I don't think anyone else could make that throw. It was because Russell Wilson threw it like over the top. Baseball like in, style. In, uh, baseball style, like in really weird flexibility and strength like mm-hmm. i just and, and mahomes has really got a strong arm but that's a that was a sort of an awkward throw almost the way he threw that mahomes would throw it sidearm but yeah th- those are two of the the great quarterbacks going on right now i put those guys in the top you know two three four quarterbacks i think they're both phenomenal players that will give their teams a, a chance to go to the playoffs every year and a chance to win the super bowl every couple of years to put the right uh, the right roster around them so when we were talking about the potential of the vikings moving on from cousins of course throws like that plays like the run from mahomes yesterday which we're watching on tv right now when he runs through tackles into the end zone and- much less like the spin move at the end and the fight off a d lineman I know. At I'm, the five-yard line. Just, just outrageous. And and that doesn't even count all the throws that he made and the tight windows and the playmaking and look where everything breaks down and he just finds Oh, well, here's when he something. throws like 65 yards in the air to Sammy Watkins for the game ceiling touchdown. I know. I know. Sort of, I'm going to buy some time back here. And, you know, what's interesting about that game, if you watch that from a schematic standpoint, and they had some really good views from a higher camera, but uh, on a lot of plays, team the, the Titans were just doubling like they're basically playing with no free safety mm-hmm. and saying we're going to double the tight end and we're going to double Tyreek Hill. Yep. And then everyone else is just man to man. And basically there was like, okay, we're going to have one guy that's not one of those guys go deep on these plays. Mm-hmm. And Mahomes, you just have to sort of like buy time and wait for him to get through all the clutter. And then the guy's going to go deep. And that's what he did on that play. But they did it a couple times in that game. It's interesting. There's, there's various forms of man to man coverage. And then there's a type where, and the Patriots do it more than everybody else is, we're just going to double like the best two players, and everyone mm-hmm. else is completely by themselves. And what's interesting about 
I'm sure from a Vikings fan perspective, when you're watching someone like Mahomes or someone like Russell Wilson or Lamar Jackson, too, I know that he didn't have the best playoff game against Tennessee, but just in general throughout the season, going 14-2, and giving yourself a shot to be a one seed, the mobility aspect of it cannot be ignored. Like If you're writing a list and you're doing the Boy Meets World thing where you drop an M&M in one side that's a good thing for Kirk and an M&M in the side that's bad, did you ever watch Boy Meets World? No. No. Well, okay. There's a famous episode where it does that. It's super famous. So famous that you don't know about it. Mm. But anyway, you get the concept. And the maybe my son knows it. The, could be. I think your son might be too young. You really have to be millennial age. You probably are maybe a little too on the older side. If you're 32, 28, somewhere in that range, you definitely know what I'm talking about because Boy Meets World. Is That's huge. our target demographic yeah. out there. Exactly. <laughs> As all AM radio is. So, uh, but anyway, so you get you back know, to work. You're putting in, you know, okay, this is what he does well, this is what he does poorly, and we're trying to decide does he have more MMs in the things that he does well than things he does poorly to decide whether you're signing him to a contract extension. That's kind of how it works. And the, the thing is that you would drop a bunch of M&Ms in the negative side of not being able to move around because it just seems like even the quarterbacks who are not super, super, super mobile like Jimmy Garoppolo can still move around enough to be able to make plays or get the ball out when people are collapsing on them. And with Cousins, it's got to be hard for Vikings fans to watch other quarterbacks do this yeah. and then think, our quarterback doesn't at all, and how do we win if he's not going to be able to move away from pressure? Was John Paxson a good three-point shooter? John, yeah, for the Bulls? For the Bulls. Yeah. All right, Jordan Drive, kick sure. out to Paxson for was. three. All yeah. right. Would you rather have Steph Curry or John Paxson? Uh, Steph Curry, obviously, because okay. he could shoot it from 40 feet and carry still, the basketball and get seven Let's just say assists. they were equivalent shooters. Yeah. All right, both, both, both good shooters. One guy's a playmaker, though. Right. right. Yeah. And it's great to have a good shooter, but, you, but to have the ball in the quarterback's hands every time who's just John Paxson, all right, that that means you have to have guys to deliver the ball to right. that are amazing. Right, right? that are comparison. the Jordans and the Pippins yeah. and the other players. Um, and doesn't mean John Paxton wasn't a really good point guard. You know, he had a, a certain role, but it's hard to get to the highest level of the game yeah. with John Paxton as the guy who's t- the ball. The offense is running through him. Does that make sense? It does. So, is there a route then for the Vikings? In short order here, assuming that they want to try to run it back and try to win in 2020 and sign Cousins to an extension, because I think that that's what they want to do. Is there a route to where they can put enough around John Paxton to have him just shoot the threes like you're making the comparison? Because I'm having trouble finding it. So, like, what would be the thing that you would have to address first? If you're making a list and saying, how do we get Cousins to be Jimmy Garoppolo or to put even more around him because he, I think he needs even more than Garoppolo yeah. needs to win a lot of games. How do you do that with also still understanding that you're missing some defensive pieces right now? Well, and that's I think it's load up a good defense. You have to load up and say, okay, uh, at the very minimum, we're going to be a lot of a lot of games. We're mm-hmm. going to play. We're going to play Wisconsin Badger style <laughs> basketball bas- defense, and and it's going to be a slow down forty eight to forty six grinder. Uh, and this defense is going to need to add some players and probably cut some cap space. Um, and they're going to have to, you know, in a sense. Not, I, don't like, I don't like to use the word guess, but guess right in this draft. I think yeah. they're going to need some draft. They're yep. going to need some free agents, maybe cut salary to add salary, uh, but maybe find some diamonds in the rough there. You know, Zadarius Smith was a free agent. Yeah. 
Diamond the Rough, they sort of got that. It was probably undervalued and had a tremendous season. Can they find somebody like that? Uh, but I, I think you add some defensive players. And then, you know, can they add someone with with a, maybe a, a later receiver in the draft that does have crazy good speed? You know, the 49ers have got a lot of these guys. They're not high draft picks or expensive for agents at wide receiver. A lot of these guys are lower in the draft, third, fourth, fifth, sixth round, mm-hmm. even undrafted guys. And they all have a lot of speed. It'd be nice if... If defense is, uh, you know, we're, we're concerned about more fast guys out there. Right. Play a little bit softer, opens up the underneath stuff. Uh, but Kirk has bet what's pretty good this year on some of those deep balls and, and you really stretch a defense. And when you have those really fast guys, it does open it up for everybody else. It'd be nice to open it up for a Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen on the, on the underneath stuff. Uh, and have two other guys who can take the top off the coverage. That'd be nice to find this offseason. Yeah. A number three wide receiver alone. It was something that. As much as I like B.C. Johnson, he can get to spots and make catches, but yeah. he's not give him the ball at the line of scrimmage and he's going to turn it into a 30-yard game. If, one, if, if, if Adam Thielen was a burner, because I think Diggs is the fastest of, of yeah. the group. If Adam Thielen was also another burner, um, then B.C. would have a great spot. He'd be an underneath guy. Right. He'd, be a, possession he'd, guy. He'd, be, he'd be Ike Hilliard. Remember Ike Hilliard at the New York Giants end of his career? (laughs) He was a great possession guy. He'd go over the middle. He'd fight for yards. What a deep pull. Yeah, there you go. He'd block for you in the run game, going to do all the right things, can play all the positions, maybe even help you a little bit on special teams, which I think BC probably did some this year. But they could use definitely some some more speed, one if not two guys who can really burn, at least if they want to copy what these two teams are doing. You know, if you want to get these two teams that are in the Super Bowl, Kansas City and San Francisco – I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not big into like 40 times or whatever, but it seems like to me they have all, they, they both have some, some weapons that can really, really run. Yeah. And this was sort Including of the, their tight ends, by the way. Yes. And this was sort of the case for keeping Cordero Patterson a couple of years ago that I made was he gives you a unique element that you don't have. But otherwise. he couldn't play wide receiver. He no, just but, for but whatever you just reason. Give him the football, though. Yeah. I guess, but you have to be able to, you have to be a weapon or else you're just a running back at that point. And then, you know, the, I don't know. I, I don't think the Vikings need it as running back and the kick return job has gotten. Less and less valuable. Yes, he did. Yes. He did return. Did he turn two this year. I feel uh, like at least one. I don't yeah, know. At least if he got one. One was a, yeah. a great video of that from the yes. overhead uh, uh, camera or whatever. But but just the, having a playmaker yeah. on the roster is something that they don't really have. Like a pure. That's all the guy does is just take a bubble screen just for explosive. thirty explosive. Yeah, jet sweep or something. And yeah, it seems whenever Stefan Diggs tries to take a jet sweep, he doesn't know where to run or how to run. Yeah. with the football. <laughs> It's like a weird shortcoming of his, but he's just not really great at it. When you go back and look on tape, you're like, there were like five running lanes, and you sort of just ran into the guy. And you know who's down. not the burner is um, Manuel Sanders. He has become, he used to be fast. I'm sure he's still fast, but he is not the guy who's taking the top off the coverage and, yes. and du- making that safety double team. He is sort of the underneath guy, uh, the timing routes, the beat the linebacker versus some sort of zone coverage, find the sauce. But he's bet, become the crafty vet that this offense desperately needed because they've had so many injuries at the wide receiver position, this, this San Francisco offense. Yeah, I, I think that you're right in that. Adding people who can make plays with the ball is something that these two have in common that the Vikings could take. There are certain things you can't take. You can't get Patrick Mahomes. I'm sorry he's not for sale. But are there speedsters? Are there playmakers out there who you can mix with your possession receiver, with your deep receiver and digs, with your playmaker and Delvin Cook, assuming they re-sign him? So it's not an impossible task to take this offense and have it be as good or a little bit better next year 
even if the defense takes a step back, you're still talking about being competitive. So I think some people have misunderstood the way we've been talking about it is you're in a really tough spot to try and get over the top because you've missed some of your best chances. That doesn't mean that you can't be a good team next year, but if there was a drastic move, what would it have to be? I mean, because I, I always think about what's the craziest thing they could do. Last year we talked about Antonio Brown. Before I knew he was nuts, I did not know. When I was talking about it, I just thought he was talented and had driven the Steelers crazy. Did not know the craziness of Antonio Brown. But that was like the most all-in, whacked-out type of push-the-chips-to-the-middle-of-the-table type of move. Yeah, you were wanting him, right? You were saying we should trade for him? Only before, and then two first, and then two first rounders only for, before the crazy. I just want to make that very clear. But two first rounders for the corner from Jacksonville as well. You want to trade two first rounders for him? Well, that was another who doesn't have a contract. I don't know what's going on in LA, by the way. I don't know what the yeah, Rams that's are a mess. doing. But but that's another example of push the chips to the yeah. table and see what happens because you ended up ten and six and out in the second round. They could have tried to get like Emmanuel Sanders. Obviously, I mean he was up for trade. I don't know what the Forty ers trade for him. I, was it? I think a fourth rounder, fifth rounder, something like that. I think it was only a fourth rounder. A fourth rounder. So they could have done something like that. A, a, a veteran, right? It's not going to be a. This is not a long term. He's going to be here for the next five years type of trade. But a veteran who's probably not going to be very cheap, he still is going to demand a decent amount of money. I, I got to imagine. But they could have, you know, done some things. They didn't. They're waiting for the future. They're going to need to use that maybe that you know fourth round pick this year, uh, you know, on a you know a, a better nose tackle or something like that. I mean, we'll see what they do defensively. But it definitely helped their offense last year. We know that. We know the pieces they added. Oh yeah, with Kirk, with the scheme, the draft picks. This definitely. offense was not a weakness of the football team. In particular, the running game was a strength of this football team. And I like being on football teams where the running game is a strength. I, I think that just you consistently can win more games and and be in a lot of games. And, you know, with the right defense and the whole, it makes your defense better, right? I, I got to think some of the reasons San Francisco's defense is good because San Francisco's offense runs the football yeah. so well. And uh, I, I think that this team is close. It just, uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting offseason. You know what I like about being able to run the ball for certain teams is, number one, it just gives you many different things. So the internet is always fighting about whether running is good or not. And yeah, people, it's like an analytics uh, yeah. fairy tale or but something, what, right? What, what I think is missing from the conversation is that a lot of running backs are replaceable, but running brings a lot of value if you can do it well. If you can't do it well and you keep doing it, then you're really shooting yourself in the foot. But it's also the aspect if you're winning you've probably run the football more because you're up and you're you know, you're going to have an extra eight, nine, ten runs in the fourth quarter that if you were losing, you wouldn't have. So, of course, you're going to have better stats running the football when you're a winning team. And you can also, when you get ahead with your passing game, you can put a team in a coffin. Like, if, that's exactly what they did to the Vikings. Is San Francisco got ahead by throwing the ball down the field, smoking Xavier Rhodes in the end zone. Because everybody's so focused on stopping the run because right. they just run all over yes. teams. And there's nothing worse than being bled to death. Right. And right? that's for a defensive coordinator. Like, right. uh, runs of, they have Eight yards of carry last night. Yeah, so it's that's you know, the worst. Runs of five. There was there was five six yard runs that looked like good stops. I was like, oh, they oh they got six yards on that. Yes. You know? The the run game scheme. I said that 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 Kyle and and Mike Shannon or and not Mike Shannon, Mike uh, McDaniel, that crew out there. The way to put that uh, put that thing together last night versus that defense was just phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, just I mean, Kirk Cousins can win you that football game. <laughs> Promise <laughs> anyone you, anyone can. Anyone can do. Steve I, I could have won, I could have won you that football. That's game. That's right. And uh, there was a, a point last night where the announcer said. 
Kirk, or uh, Jimmy Garoppolo has not thrown a pass for the last 90 minutes or, or something like that. You know, <laughs> from, like, in the third yeah, quarter, yeah. I think he threw a pass in the third quarter. I mean, if you never have to throw the football, I wouldn't. If you could get seven and eights and sixes oh, and yeah. sevens and fives and nines. If it nines was an efficient play consistently. It, yeah. Right, because there's just no variable. The, there's fewer variables there. Right, You're handing the ball off. You can sort of control the game. When you're throwing the football, all these other things come into play. Tip passes, holding penalties, you know, offensive holding penalties, just a drop pass, just a missed throw. Mm-hmm. All these things do occur. Interceptions, you know. Yep. Um, uh, you know, just all, these, all a lot of negative things can happen. So there's just you're taking all the variable uh, aspects and sort of risk out of the, the the football basically as you hand the ball off, and it, it makes the quarterback. It makes the the quarterbacks. I like to think is the toughest job of anybody on on the team, and it makes his job easier. Yeah. So the most important, if you can make that person's job, and that's probably in a, in a company too, if you somehow make their job easier because everyone else is doing such a great job, and now we've got a thing that's cooking with you know with gasoline, and and that's what the 49ers had going last night. It has some benefits that aren't necessarily always brought up, uh, including slowing down the rush. Just making the defensive line think about the fact that you might pound it over their face. Uh, I love the fact that defensive coordinators and defensive players hate being run on. So you mentioned this once before, but I think it's a great point. That when you give up a seven-yard pass, you're like, oh, not bad. Like, that's fine. We got them. We held them down. You give up a seven-yard run, it feels like you've got your ass kicked. There's just something to that that's psychological when you see defenses. They're really back on their heels when they're getting run over. And we saw that yesterday with the Packers. We saw it in in, in, when Minnesota played Dallas. They yep. that, that run ten you know, straight runs. Ten yeah. straight runs. That is like that's like taking your soul away when they when they're when they're doing <laughs> yes. the pregame stuff in the in the locker room before the game. Sometimes they talk about at the end of the day we're going to put our will on them. Yeah, you know that yep. is what that is. In the fourth quarter, it's going to there's going to be plays made. There's going to be some mistakes. Keep your head up. Keep positive. But in the fourth quarter, when it's down to the wire, we're going to we're going to put our will on to them. And and dominate this football game at the end. It's going to be a fifteen, you know, round, uh, a bloody, you know, type of type of match. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's what sometimes coaches all sort of get into. And that's what the Vikings did in that football game was to just put their will on the Dallas Cowboys, who didn't seem, for whatever reason, uh, you know, I, they didn't want not, to tackle that night. Something. It, well, just I'm saying, what well, ended up the whole thing up falling apart pretty much after that game. Yeah. I, with Dallas five and three. Yeah, they were pretty good at that time. The Vikings were and six and two, and, and, and sort Dallas of, was five yeah. and three. Then it really it all sort, sort of, of fell apart. Steal their soul. I, I think, think it did. Bit, yeah. See, there you go. That's, that's um, what you got to do. So the way I look at it is, when you're talking about models to win without Patrick Mahomes, it's you have to be good at everything. You have to be able to win shootouts. You have to be able to win low-scoring games. You have to be able to run. You have to be able to throw the ball efficiently. Uh, it doesn't matter about yardage totals. It matters yards per attempt and what you're doing with each drop back. And then you have to have a quarterback who makes big plays at big times, which Jimmy Garoppolo did. You know, Aaron Rodgers threw two interceptions last night, but I think even if he doesn't throw those, they they still lose the football game. Right? I agree. Yep. Okay. Okay, so if you looked at not those two interceptions, his stats were great. He was like thirty-one to thirty-nine for like three fifty. Yeah, right. So, but but all from twenty-seven points. But down. they pretty yeah. much had no chance to win that football game from about mid-second quarter. It seemed like that thing was they're getting run out of the gym, as they say. So um, the, the stat, the passing stats are interesting, but running stats just do not lie. You just do not lose football games very often if you run for two hundred yards. You just rarely, rarely do. Don't you love this matchup for the quarterbacks who used to play for San Francisco who ended up playing for Kansas City? 
Like Elvis Gerbach. Oh, yeah. Steve DeBerg. Steve Bono. Joe Montana. I, just, I want to finish our time together today by just saying how awesome is this matchup? It's, it's, it's so it's great. great. It is great. And it is... Uh, well, Iowa State colors, which is always nice too, you know. But uh, it it is a Biased. great, it is gonna be a great matchup of two various styles. And you know, Andy Reid is a coach that a lot of people have just loved over the years. You know, if you were sort of, you always respected him because just consistently, man, his teams yeah. are just in the hunt, and he always seems to have a quarter. All of his quarterbacks have uh, had great years underneath him, and you know, four losses or what four championship games he's been to, one Super Bowl, and, and they lost to the Patriots in that Super Bowl in Jacksonville. That was the Terrell Owens game. But then he goes to a new team, and and immediately they they are they are in the hunt consistently. He's been a great coach, a Hall of Fame coach mm-hmm. already. Yep, totally uh, definitely agree. now, right? If they lose this, totally Hall agree. Of Fame coach. Yes, one hundred percent. And then you know, 49ers with the you know the young coach and the you know the the the, imp- the defense that defense just the 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 D line is just engulfs quarterbacks. I mean, Nick Bosa is it Nick Nick Bosa? This Nick or just yeah, Joey? Yep, this Nick. Nick Bosa. He is a specimen, and he is a sort of freak athlete. And they have a whole bunch of them along that defensive line. They have drafted there. Yes. You know, John Lynch is he knows too. You know, yes. you know, make a corner look good. Have an awesome D line. Yes. You can rush he four would know from Warren Sapp. You can rush four, and you can get some pressure. And these guys don't have to cover as long. So they have really done an amazing job. I would say San Francisco is like the blueprint for for starting over, and and because that team was terrible. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. But starting over from personnel and with the right coach and the right coaching staff, all those by the, almost all probably half that staff was on my Houston staff when I was there. Mostly offensive players. Under Coops. But even the special teams coordinator, Eisenhower, he was, uh, I think, a defensive uh, a quality control. Robert Sala, the coordinator, defensive quality control. Uh, the linebackers coach was our linebackers coach. D'Amico Ryans, we drafted in the second round from Alabama uh, in 2006. He's there, one of their linebackers coaches. I think he's inside linebackers. Um, you know, Wes Welker, I played with in Miami. He's their receivers coach. And then you have Kyle is? Shannon. I didn't realize he's that. He's their receivers coach. Kyle yeah. Shannon obviously uh mike mcdaniel was our quality control and offense he was sort of like mike's right or kyle's right hand man lafleur was also quality control my last year there john benton was the o-line coach even the equipment manager jay bird we got him jay uh he was the houston texans equipment manager that's uh, back during that era when i was there and they hired him along so they've hired a lot of the right people it seems like they've got a great chemistry and of course, it starts at the top of the head coach. Two great head coaches and two various styles of offense, and, and should be it should be a great great game to analyze for the next two weeks and to watch on that Sunday. So you will also be going down to Miami. Um, so I'm going to be off the rest of the week, so we won't get together on Wednesday. You will get together with whoever the hell they fill the space with, I guess, if you want to. Uh, but then next week. You will be calling in for Miami, which is going to be awesome. Assuming try to call in, uh, try to do some corresponding too. Yeah, really, you know, I try to do get a some, few some combine style interviews some, down there, some, some podcasts or things like that. So I'm trying to. I have a few things lined up already. We'll, we'll see what uh, what I find down there. Uh, I'm very excited to have our journeyman correspondent on a journey to the Super Bowl next week, and uh, very glad you could come in today, Sage. This is great. It's always much better coming in studio. I wish I could do it more often. Well, you live in Omaha, so you can't always. That's the way it goes. That is how it goes. Uh, all right. Well, thank you for your time. As always, make sure you follow Sage on Twitter. Now you're doing video breakdowns, which are great. I'm starting um, to get into that a little bit. Yeah, people always. You're you one know, of those people now. Well, I don't know. I don't have all the fancy tools and people have these graphics. I'm like, I don't know. It's That's a little bit too much. I don't have time for all of that. Yeah, I got, that takes a lot of editing. I'm going to videotape this play and try to describe people what's going on and what happened and why it happened and try to keep things simple. And, of course, 
well, the course of a football game, there's like 150 plays or whatever, and you know maybe 10 or 15 are actually fairly interesting, right? So I uh, try to find a few of those plays, and I'll be doing those uh, for the next couple of weeks, probably both the 49ers and the uh, and the and the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, sounds good. Well, we will look forward to that. Uh, coming up next, Courtney Cronin is at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. We will spend the next hour with her talking about what she learned from the Super Bowl teams about the Vikings and also what she's looking for down there in uh, in Mobile. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. <laughs> It's Purple Daily. All right, welcome back to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar here with you. And now joining the show for the next hour from Mobile, Alabama, Courtney Cronin, draft scout for uh, ESPN. (laughs) Uh, What is going on, Courtney? How is the South? Is it warm and not freezing cold? Well, they don't have snow down here, and it's been interesting because I, I thought back on it. Every weekend of January, I've been in either southern or west coast climate, two places that I have spent winters in um, throughout the last few years, and I forget, like, wow, this is what it's like when there's not six inches of snow every other day, and it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's balmy. But, yeah, no, I'm in draft mode. Like, I know that you and I talked about it, and I saw your tweet the other day that you won't even begin to draft sim until the combine, but there's something about it. I just, you know, I went back to the website, and I was like, oh, it's pulling me back, and uh, <laughs> I am definitely in draft mode. I mean, this is this is my life now. Well, uh, the combine comes up at the end of February, and I try to hold out until then, till I release my first official draft simulation. Because it's oh, got to be wait. extremely official with draft picks and analysis <laughs> and everything else. Now, I will say the last two years that my final draft sim has picked either the first or second round selection for the Vikings. I'm just saying that I picked both offensive linemen, Garrett Bradbury and Brian O'Neill in my final draft sims. So these are important and people have to go to scorenorth.com to see the draft sims. Um, but uh, let's let's talk about first real quick what you're doing in Mobile Alabama for the Senior Bowl, like what what are you going to be looking for, and then we can get into the uh, Super Bowl matchup and also what we're going to be looking for for the Vikings over the next two weeks or so. But uh, Senior Bowl, there are quarterbacks there. Have you uh, noticed that already? Yeah, I think that you know it's just it's early in the week, so people are still getting here, and you know the games are obviously in the weekend, so I won't be here staying for that. But um, you know, seventy first Senior Bowl, I've I've never gone before. I thought that. Just given, you know, the quarterbacks that have gone through here before, like, this is, it's not highlighted by a ton of big names. That's one thing I think people need to remember. But, um, so like think back to last year, though. The quarterbacks that were selected in the first round, the last four drafts came through the senior bowl. Daniel Jones last year, Baker Mayfield the year before, Josh Allen two years ago as well, Carson Wentz. And then, like you mentioned, Garrett Bradbury was here. Um, two years or last year during, and he was selected in the first round for the Vikings at 18. And I remember he didn't do any top 30 visits, like kind of people didn't know a whole ton about him. So the access that you get to certain prospects, like this might be, they're very rare um, opportunities to do it throughout the draft process. It's either here or it's at, if, I mean, if I don't go to pro days because I don't cover college, but if you cover, if you are on that route, you do it there. And also at the combine, 
Um, so it's kind of interesting. It's just a good first look at guys that you've been watching throughout the 2019 college football season. But um, I'll be really curious to see kind of who by the end of the week pops up as, hey, this is somebody you should be looking at potentially um, as a, you know, first round pick because there's, you know, while there isn't going to be like a star power um, that you typically see, I guess, from some of the other games. I mean, it's, it is probably the premier, I would say, uh, I guess off season bowl game type thing. Would yeah, you call it a bowl? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you call it a bowl game, sure. Like, I mean, it's uh, got the word bowl in it and everyone knows that I love bowl games. So I watch the yeah. senior bowl every year. Um, but you're right about, Players there were a ton emerging. of offensive linemen. Yeah, and that's the one thing. Like last year, I was really curious about that. Chris Lindstrom was here, Garrett Bradbury, Andre Dillard, Titus yep. Howard, um, Caleb McGrary. I mean, and this is still a year for the Minnesota Vikings to potentially tap into um, the top prospects on the offensive line uh, that are entering the draft. So, I mean, that's something I'm going to keep my eye on. But also, you know, thinking to number 25 when the Vikings are going to be picking in April – you know, it's it maybe an offensive lineman isn't the route they go. So keeping my eye open for potentially a three technique, potentially a cornerback. I mean, there's a lot of different ways they could go. And this is just kind of a nice little introduction into it. Um, I've been told it's combine light. So it's a good way to ease into it before we're going around asking prospects in a month from now. Did you meet with the Minnesota Vikings? <laughs> yes, yes. I will not be asking that question, but you know people will. Uh, yes, yes. Every single year at the Combine. Well, I'm excited for that because I believe we're going to broadcast from the Combine if I get there this year. Remember, there was a plane yes, snafu your, your last time around. Saga. Yeah, that did not work out so well. So we're going to plan it out a little bit better, hopefully, and maybe there won't be a snowstorm when I try to leave. Um, but I'm excited to hear what you have to say after you've seen the practices and talked to all the people down there at the Senior Bowl. I know it's really good access to teams and to players and things like that. So we'll get to that uh, next week, and you can come back and break it all down. Courtney R. Cronin, Draft Scout. Um, let's talk about the Super Bowl, if you will. Um, how about that? Jimmy Garoppolo has to throw several passes in a victory over the Green Bay Packers. Let's start there because Twitter was ablaze yesterday with takes about Jimmy Garoppolo barely having to pass. But, you know, Courtney, it's amazing how quick we forget what San Francisco did just a few weeks ago when they put 48 on New Orleans with their passing game. I, I think the model to get to the Super Bowl is being really great at everything. I mean, once again, here we are with a number one seed and a number two seed, as it has been every year since 2012. And the last time a team won with not a one or two seed was 2010. That is the reality of the NFL. And so when the Vikings go 10 and six, they pretty much seal their fate as not being good enough to be a Super Bowl team. And I think San Francisco reminds me a lot, Courtney, of the Philadelphia Eagles team that beat the Vikings in Philly a couple of years ago where they're just stacked from top to bottom with great coaches and if they get good enough quarterback play they could get to the Super Bowl and a few breaks and a few turnovers and great defensive play and you know I guess I guess I, I shouldn't be shocked at all that the San Francisco 49ers considering how great that roster is top to bottom is in the Super Bowl and just to add to that when we talk about the Vikings window and we talk about how close the Vikings are to the 49ers and stuff like that, I think the 2017 Vikings would have been your version of the 49ers. 
And everything since then has been a light version of 2017 Vikings. And going forward, it's sure. going to be really hard to get their roster back up to that full strength like San Francisco has this year. Yeah, and, and the, if you look at the San Francisco team, the way that they won that game yesterday and the way that they've been able to win in multiple ways – like, this is what Mike Zimmer wanted all along. Like, how how perfect is that? You ride the run. You have great offensive line play. Your quarterback throws eight passes in a win. Um, you don't have to. I mean, it wasn't like you had home field advantage. It wasn't like you were battling weather conditions. This was just the way that you wanted to play. And they did it. I mean, that to me is just so blatantly obvious that this is the formula that you can still ride. I mean, we talk about the run-first mentality that the Vikings had and why it's sputtered there at the end. Well, they also have a lot more weapons than just Dalvin Cook in the run game. They have Raheem Mossert. Uh, Debo Samuel is so difficult to, to take down. And obviously Tevin Coleman, um, too. I mean, that they bolstered their run game, and they've been doing this for years. Like, the, you take a look at, like, some of the decisions that they made in free agency uh, for the last few years. And then the draft process. I mean, they wanted – to have a dynamic run game. And that meant that you would have more than just one guy back there. You're not just building your run game around one guy. So, I mean, they certainly did that. Um, but I think what was most impressive, too, I mean, you just look at, like, the, you know, what they were doing in the run game and just, like, yards per yards per carry. I mean, that, to me, like, I'm looking at this thing, and, and they're averaging 6.8 yards per rush. Like, that's not just a product of really good running backs, which it certainly was. I can't take anything away from them. Their offensive line was dominant. And I think that that's one of the things that for a team that literally has everything and they've been quietly building, I mean, we talk about their defensive line and we talk about how good their overall defense is and Richard Sherman and just kind of bringing him into the mix and and the game stealing, you know, the interception he had and, and all that stuff. I think we always forget to talk about, hey, their offensive line, which was a train wreck when I covered them four years ago, it took about four years to get to this point, and it looks really good. And and that's what they needed, and you needed a quarterback that could be a game manager in certain circumstances. And like you mentioned, Jimmy Garoppolo can go and do what he did in New Orleans um, in that thrilling game, what was it, week 14 of the season? Like, Pull it out when you need to, but this is the fundamental of your team. Stick with it, and, and when that can be your bread and butter and just wear down a really good defense uh, like the Packers had, I mean, that's – that's I don't know how they can be – I don't know how you're going to beat them. And I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, Chiefs 49ers. I think that's going to be a really good Super Bowl, and I'm curious, do they follow the same model – against that defense, because I think they're going to have to air it out uh, in Miami. Yes, I agree. And I don't think that there's anybody who can entirely slow down Patrick Mahomes for four quarters because the Tennessee defense was good and the Texans defense was not that good and he put 51 on them and they're just going to throw and throw and throw and throw. Like They don't care about trying to run on first and second down, which I think was the Vikings' mistake and I think it was the Packers' mistake as well that they were trying to establish the run early and it's just very clear that the 49ers with full health on their defensive line will not allow you to run the ball and then they're going to play a lot of single high safety so they're going to load the box and they're going to be extremely aggressive on screens and things like that and what I was really amazed by is that the Packers just made the same exact mistakes that the Vikings did they tried to throw screens to Aaron Jones like no you can't against that team they're too fast they're too physical uh, on the defensive line their linebackers are too quick and then they just 
shut it down and, of course, caused a couple of turnovers right away that allowed San Francisco to just keep running and running and running and running. But to your point, they're so dynamic, they can do anything on offense. They finished second in the entire NFL in points scored. This is not a ground-and-pound offense unless it wants to be. I mean, that that's what's mm-hmm. really impressive about them is it sort of reminds you of a lot of the great teams that have made it with – uh, explosive offenses where they could do a lot of different things well. In 2016, when Kyle Shanahan was the offensive coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons, it was much the same. Like They had one of the most efficient passing games in the league that year, if not the most efficient, but they also had Tevin Coleman, who now is in San Francisco, and they also had Devontae Freeman playing the best football he had played. Their offensive line was really good, and guess what? They were dynamic. They could do anything, and that's how they got to the Super Bowl without an all-time great quarterback, but a very good quarterback, which I, I see Jimmy Garoppolo as someone who is very good and has established himself as very good, has a little bit of a baller mentality when he needs to. They had four game-winning drives this year that put them in the driver's seat to be the number one seed. But really, what we're seeing year in and year out, we're moving even farther away from the Broncos that randomly made the Super Bowl with a great defense and a horrible offense. Almost every Super Bowl contender now over the last, what, 10 years has been an elite offense, and that's exactly what San Francisco is. 479 points this year. The only team that outscored them was the Baltimore Ravens, and Kansas City was fifth, but if Kansas City hadn't had Matt Moore start a couple of games, they're probably second, or they might even be first because of the way that Patrick Mahomes has played, and it that's what I look at if you're comparing how good are the Vikings to these other teams, is that last year on Championship Sunday, it was the four top scoring teams here we are Mm -hmm. with the second and fifth scoring team one team has a great defense one team has just a good defense and an all-time great quarterback but a defense that can make plays at times but it's very much Courtney the same story that has always existed in the NFL if you are an amazing offense and you're dynamic and you can do a lot of different things and have a defense that steps up at the right time you can land yourself in the Super Bowl as long as you get a number one or two seed and I don't know how much else there is for Vikings fans to learn from who's in the Super Bowl, you're never going to have Patrick Mahomes unless you get super stupid lucky at some point here soon. But if you're looking at San Francisco, you should say, yeah, we could be that team. But my question is, can you really, with Kirk Cousins at quarterback, can you really be the number two scoring team in the NFL, the number one scoring team in the NFC after this year was such a great year for the Vikings offense and they still end up finishing with just a good offense and not unbelievably great offense? Yeah, and another thing that, I don't know, maybe this is kind of like going off on a tangent, but like I look at the two teams that are in the Super Bowl right now, and I look at the last few years, what's the one thing that all of those offenses had, from Philly to the Patriots to both teams now, is that chess piece. Like, you look at Zach Ertz, you look at Rob Gronkowski, both of these teams have Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. That's the thing that... I think the Vikings are still working. They're a team that is a work in progress at the tight end position. I mean, Kyle Rudolph will not be that guy, but Herb Smith may be down the line. That's his role. But it it just, to me, is it's so interesting when you try to pick apart, okay, what's the one thing a lot of these teams have in common? The tight end position, it's the best in the NFL. And I don't know if there's any any small thing you can glean from that, but when we talk about high-powered offenses and, and the speed that Kansas City has and, you know, the kind of the hodgepodge mix that they have at wide receiver, but obviously very physical and very fast in San Francisco too. Like, 
that's something that you have to account for. And having a chess piece that you can throw in there and kind of have as your F tight end, literally your move tight end, you're having him line up as an H back, you're having him line up in the slot, yards after the catch, all those things come into play here as to why the 49ers, as you mentioned, had such a high, as explosive of an offense as they did this year without having a Patrick Mahomes at quarterback and without having somebody to orchestrate that, they were still able to get it done because you have so many other pieces around Garoppolo. And I think Vikings fans, if we're localizing this, will try to make the argument, well, the Vikings spent, you know, tons of money and draft capital to insulate Cousins uh, with all these pieces around him. Well, I just think that there's still probably a little bit more that they could do there, um, not disparaging any of any of the guys that he has around him right now, but they're just not at this level that we're seeing from Super Bowl teams. Yeah, I think what's interesting is the question of how good you need the supporting cast on offense to be to get to this level. Because the way that I look at it now is if you don't have a one or two seed, forget about it. Uh, and yeah. if you're not one of the top scoring offenses in the NFL, probably forget about it unless it's a random weird pop-up year and you get an easy path to the Super Bowl somehow or you get stupid luck like Peyton Manning needed in 2015 with the Patriots missing an extra point and then failing on a two-point conversion at the end of a game in the AFC Championship uh, and, and the entire Patriots offensive line getting hurt and on and on and on. So sometimes you do have randomness and weird bounces and everything else but we don't count on those. So how much more would Cousins need? And if you're the Vikings going into this offseason and going down to the Senior Bowl as you are to scout in Mobile, Alabama, are you thinking if you're the Vikings, well, we need to find more for Kirk Cousins? How much more do you need to really find, though? And then how do you balance that with the fact that you have no cornerbacks right now? I mean, that, yeah. that, that's where the roster is in a difficult position, and Mike Zimmer acknowledged that last week, is how are you going to fill all the needs that you need to fill with so little cap space, especially if you want to try and keep Anthony Harris even if you design that to have an early cap hit that isn't that high, eventually that bill will come and you're still in the same sort of cap trouble that you've been uh, over the last two years since they signed Kirk Cousins. I guess I'm thinking, yeah, you need an offensive lineman, a left guard or something, but do you really want to spend a high draft pick on a left guard after you already spent a high draft pick on a center last year? How are you going to stop the pass? I mean, th- this is where I- I've been getting emails like, why are you guys so grim on the offseason? I think it's not so much grim. It's, well, here's the standard is San Francisco. Now, how do you match that? And this year, roster for roster, they weren't that far behind. But in the future, they're going to have a lot to do to get back to that. I agree. And I mean, it's like, how do you, the, the balance part here of how do you, figure out what you're going to do in free agency before you get to April before, I mean, you're, you're certainly stacking your board right now and figuring out which free agency you want in there um, and where guys rank. But I don't know. I think at 25, the, the one thing that could really trip you up here is if you're getting alignment at 25, because they don't typically draft them that high or that low in the first round, like that's a second round pick. So maybe you trade back like, I just think that you'd be wasting almost a pick if you went to get an offensive lineman, a guard to think it would be an immediate upgrade. Like that's why I think that that pick more wisely would be better set on a three technique or on a cornerback, certainly cornerback. Um, Cause you can see, I mean, obviously where they drafted Mike Hughes a few years ago 
And, you know, beyond that, you know, how the Packers got lucky um, with what Jair Alexander, mm-hmm. like he was, yeah. you know, where, where he fell in the mix uh, two years ago. I mean, you can get a better value for a cornerback there than you can for an offensive lineman. But I don't know. I really haven't scoured the free agent class just yet for um, offensive linemen outside of what we did on the show last week with tackles when, when, when we were talking with Alex Boone. And just kind of like, hey, this is why you should probably keep Riley Reese because if you're looking around the league right now, who's going to be available in free agency? Uh, Wolf. Yeah. Like, you don't want to be happy. Grass isn't always green or be happy with what you have. But I, if I had to like place out the priority list, I think you're probably looking at finding a left guard somewhere in free agency and you might have to overpay to do it. But you know that this is a serious issue with your offensive line that yeah. has to get fixed because Pat Elfline was not it. It was a disaster at center last year. He was not great at all the move to left guard this year. So when you're thinking about moving forward, that's the immediate need. And that's a spot you have to address right away. Yeah. And the tackle position is really interesting because you look who's playing left tackle for the San Francisco 49ers. Joe Staley is one of the best in, in the league. And he has been for quite some time. He's just a proven guy that's been reliable and excellent at, at shutting down pass rushes. He's really good in the run blocking. He's got quickness and mobility and all that. For years and years and years, he's been good. And finally, he gets to play on a team that uh, is, is in the Super Bowl. But if you're the Vikings, you're looking at it saying, we're very average at that position, at the left tackle position. But how do we improve even a first-round pick at the 25th spot usually means I, that... I don't think so. Right. All the left tackles usually go pretty early because it's one of the three most valuable positions in the sport. So do you, do you just kind of stay with average at that spot? Do you try to trade up to draft somebody? But you can't really afford to use a bunch of draft capital at this point because you have so many spots to fill. I think they end up ultimately, like you said, staying with Riley Reef because there just aren't many options that are better, but you're paying him a pretty huge cap hit. You could always move Brian O'Neill over. Then you're risking what happens at right tackle and being unsure there. And I think it's very clear that the Vikings level of offensive line play to be a really, truly great offense is higher than everyone else if they're going to stay with Kirk Cousins. The the bar you have to reach to give him enough time to throw is much higher than someone like Patrick Mahomes or even someone like Jimmy Garoppolo who gets rid of the ball. That's one thing that he's very good at. Quick release. If the pressure's coming, he generally lets it go. Where Cousins just gets sacked and sacked and sacked and sacked, it, it's, it seems like you have to elevate the offensive line play so much where you can have a game where you dominate the run like San Francisco did, but also give Cousins three, four seconds to throw the ball because we saw what happened in San Francisco that when there is pressure, he's just going to take sacks. Yeah, and I mean, you can try to scheme him away from that. You can try to, like like they try. I mean, you can't say they didn't try. Like with the screen passes, that was their way of trying to get the ball out quickly because they knew that that interior push was going to become a dilemma for him in the uh, divisional playoffs, and it didn't work. I mean, you have to have another answer than just quick outs and screen passes because eventually those are going to get blown up, and Kirk's not going to do well at trying to recover from that. So to me, that's why you have to prioritize your offensive line because you know, like, here's the thing. quarterback The quarterback that they have right now is going to keep patting that damn ball. He's going to do it all day because that is the rhythm he's in. That is, that is something that is hard to change, the habit that's hard to break. 
he's going to stand back there because that's a hard habit to break. You can you can say, oh, well, you know, this offseason going into year nine for Kirk in the NFL, he'll work on timing. He'll work on, you know, getting out of the pocket faster and all that. No, we won't because this right. is honestly what you have with him. Like, so if you know the limitations, if you know the perceived weaknesses, um, then you have to be proactive in more than just play calling. It means an upgrade in your personnel to – Try to find, but I, I just, I, I don't know. I feel like maybe I'm a skeptic about it, but I just feel like how much better can it really get? Yeah. Especially with what you know is available. Like you're not going out there and getting Roger Saffold this year. You don't have a second chance of doing it and getting somebody of that caliber costs a lot of money. So that means that before free agency, you better be active and trying to move around some guys and, 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 you know, create cap space however you can. But if you go all in on one left guard position, then you don't have any other money to spend in free agency, and you might need it because, you know, Anthony Harris, as you mentioned, is certainly should be prioritized uh, to be brought back uh, for the secondary. And then you got to wonder about Trey Wayne's. Can you get him at a good price? Do you let Mackenzie Alexander go, which you probably do? Like, there's a lot of other things, pieces that come into play here. So if you go all in on a left guard, which I think is the right move, just realize it's going to kind of have you with your hands tied behind your back in other positions. Real quick before we go to break, and then we'll talk about what is upcoming potentially this week and some news about uh, George Payton today. Uh, three running back rotation in San Francisco, uh, undrafted running back in Kansas City. Should the Vikings look at the Super Bowl and say, hmm, these teams did not pay a whole lot for their running backs. Now, I know that San Francisco signed Jarek McKinnon and they signed Tevin Coleman. McKinnon obviously has not played for them, but they end up with a guy who is off the street and was cut by like four different teams doing all the running for them yesterday. Does that say anything about paying what they'll have to pay to keep Dalvin Cook? Uh, it might. I mean, I still think that there's reason to believe that, I mean, that they will give him more than a fair share, I, I guess, you know, I know. And I think that I say that with the thought that a lot of teams don't like to let their running backs kind of go wild on the second contract and thinking that you can automatically just plug and play through the draft and upgrade that way. That's not always the case as we found out. Um, but he's a special player, so he's going to get his, what he's due. I just, you know, when you think about upgrading that position, you need a number three. If you want to have the rotation, that they have between, you know, Mossert and potentially when they get um, Jarek McKinnon back in the fold too and Tevin Coleman. And, I mean, obviously you can see what Debo Samuel does. Um, it's just kind of on I, – I use him as – he's kind of a chess piece too. I mean, he's a great receiver, but he's also really physical and really tough to bring down mm-hmm. in the run game. Um, that maybe you would look at another third or fourth round pick as a running back and you'd have Cook, Madison, and player to be named in April because you just don't have it with Mike Boone, uh, Amir Abdullah. Uh, you just don't have it. So, I mean, that that's where I'd be curious. Okay, how do they want to fill out this running back stable? Because the first two guys are great. Like, they really are. But after that, it's a, it's a severe drop-off. And I don't know. Is the Mike Boone experiment over? I don't know. Well, I also um, think if you're going to pay Dalvin Cook, then you know, are you really going to have a running back rotation, or are you going to hand it to him and throw it to him 400 times next year, which is probably the case if if he remains healthy. And that's where it's not about Dalvin Cook's talent because he's clearly one of the most talented running backs in the NFL. It's 
entirely about how much it costs to keep him and how hard it is to replace him. So that's the question that they're going to have to ask themselves. And this is what I want to get into when we come back. That's where I wonder how different Mike Zimmer's views on this roster are from the front office and from the ownership. So let's take a break. Courtney Cronin is in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl, and uh, we will return with some conversation about the Vikings and some potential changes that could be going on uh, in the front office and in the coaching staff. When we return, you're listening to Purple Daily here on Score North. All right, welcome back to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin of ESPN on the phone as she is in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl, which uh, I'm very excited already to get together next week and get all of your thoughts on the Senior Bowl. But Courtney, today a report from Cleveland from uh, Mary Kay Cabot that uh, George Payton, uh, there's a chance that he could become the general manager of the Cleveland Browns and follow Kevin Stefanski there. What do we make of George Payton potentially finally leaving after having all sorts of interest over the last few years in his services? Well, I've said this all along when once his name started coming out as a candidate for the opening and the connection to Stefanski, the fact that he took the interview alone once the Browns put the request in is a big deal. This is a guy who has had multiple chances for advancement to leave. Obviously, the Rams name came, Rams came up through that process throughout the years. Um, the Jets as well. I know that in 2017, I believe it was the Packers put a request in, but he was blocked because why would you want to send George Payton over to Green Bay and have to face him? Uh, in his team twice a year because you know just how darn good of an evaluator he is. Um, so, yeah, the fact that he took the interview, which was reported over the weekend is when it took place, um, is a big deal. And he, he thinks incredibly highly of Kevin Stefanski. That is what I've heard all along. And, and people that I've spoken with, um, you know, close to the situation are kind of kind of clenching right now, clenching their fists, wondering, okay, is it, you know, is he going to go? Is it really going to be the time that he actually leaves? And I would not be surprised if he is the next general manager of the Cleveland Browns, given the ties to Kevin Stefanski, the aligned vision that he has, um, and his chance to finally become a general manager. He's been very picky with his yeah. interviews, and and that's he, he must see the rest of us see a dumpster fire. That is that is a fact with with the Browns. You talk to people who are like, oh my God, Kevin Stefanski, week one dealing with Odell Beckham slapping people on their backside. <laughs> um, George Payton wouldn't take that job if he didn't think that there was, you know, a possibility that they can make something really good happen with this turnaround. So he knows something. If he does take that job, he knows something that the rest of us are not privy to because uh, it looks like you're walking into a pretty terse situation. But, you know, that would be a big loss for the Vikings front office. Their top talent evaluator, one of you know people that I've spoken with, an incredible scout just from the way that he's able to, you know, he hasn't advanced games in a while uh, just in his current role as assistant GM, but just the way that he, his process and, and kind of the way that the scouting department has been formed. There's already been departures in the scouting department from the 2019 going into the 2020 offseason. So I would anticipate it could get pretty rocky there if, if Peyton ends up leaving because it feels like they might have to sit down and kind of do a custody battle between Spielman and um, Spielman and Peyton be like, okay, this person stays, this person goes, depending upon contract situations, everybody, of course. But they built this thing, and that's so wild to think that you know, guys who have been together forever, Rob Brzezinski, George Payton, Rick Spielman. I mean, a lot of them go back to their Miami days. Like, the fact that that could all be dissolving soon, 
means that we're kind of in for a changing of the guard, I think, just overall moving into a new era for the Vikings. So if you're the Vikings, you're like, throw him everything he wants, give him all the money, keep him here. But uh, it might just not be possible if this opportunity really is one that he believes in. And that's exactly why we've been talking about the end of the 2019 season as the end of an era in some ways for the Vikings or an end of their window. And now they have to find a way with a lot of new people in a lot of positions that have been the same under Mike Zimmer, including we'll get to offensive and defensive coordinator, um, but it might be also assistant GM here as well. Somebody who has been integral in the process of building up a roster that was really, really good. I mean, think about all the finds that they've had in the draft and all the good drafts that they've had, especially the 2015 draft, which really changed everything for the Vikings organization, getting Stephon Diggs and Eric Hendricks and Daniil Hunter and and even Trey Wayne's a starting corner in that one draft. But they've also been able to find players that fit Mike Zimmer's vision, like Anthony Harris, who is now a free agent, but a guy who built his way up from a special teamer that they, they They've just had a lot of fines and good choices, and it's not a team that you seem to say, oh man, they let that guy go, and now he's on the Super Bowl team. I guess you could say that for Blake Bell, but that's about it, right? Like they, they, <laughs> they don't miss very often when it comes to their player evaluations. Every once in a while, yeah, you get a Laquan Treadwell who goes first-round bust, but even in that draft, you, Mackenzie Alexander turned out to be a good player, and David Morgan, before he got hurt, was a good player. You know, so they've had all these hits and all these fines late in the draft. Stephen Weatherly, Afadi Adenabo, guys like that who have turned out to be very good players. And now if you're having a shift, you have to wonder, okay, what's the process going to be like now if you lose some of the scouts who have been big for you and you lose the assistant general manager who's going to be big for you or who was big for you and now is going to, you know, run things in Cleveland? That's where. You have uncertainty with how this is going to look in the future. And also, of course, uncertainty when it comes to the offensive and defensive coordinator and how those are going to work out. Have you heard anything, Courtney, on what is going to happen at OC and DC for the Vikings? Well, I think we should start with um, the defensive coordinator position. So what I was told um, the Sunday night, that George Edwards, like it came out that his contract, uh, you know, we, we knew, like I had known that he doesn't, he doesn't, he signs year to year. That is what he's done throughout his tenure in Minnesota. It's his prerogative. That's, you know, betting on yourself. That's somebody who is a seasoned veteran in the NFL can do that. Not every coach can do that. So once I started digging a little bit further and figuring out, okay, which names, uh, should we be looking at? You know, Adam Zimmer's name kept rising to the top and, and certainly, you look at that position and you think, okay, it makes sense to a lot of degrees. I know people are going to talk about nepotism and people are going to talk about is Mike Zimmer actually going to give up plays. If there is any time for Mike Zimmer to kind of turn over responsibilities for play calling, because he's always toyed with the idea. He's never done it. But this is your legacy right here, and that's your son. So it makes entire sense why Adam Zimmer's name keeps popping up as the potential uh, to fill the defensive coordinator spot. But that also brings up, okay, well, what do you do with Andre Patterson? The guy has been loyal. He's been with Mike Zimmer, you know, at multiple different stops, going back to freaking Weber, Weber State. Like, I mean, they have been together forever. 
So you'd think there has to be some sort of promotion. And what I've been told is that is the case. There is some sort of promotion in line for Andre Patterson if they do end up going this route where Adam Zimmer becomes the defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe that you, you kind of treat it what you did with Gary on the offense, that maybe Patterson is like the assistant to that, you know, the assistant coach for the assistant head coach for defense type thing. Um, but I do, or maybe they go co-defensive coordinators. Um, and, and Adam Zimmer has the chance to call plays eventually. Uh, I don't know how soon that would be, but I do know just from speaking with people behind the scenes that, you know, Mike Zimmer is again kind of toying with the idea of giving up play call and going into the 2020 season. Now, will he actually do it? I don't know. I yeah, mean, he's we've toyed been, with that a lot. We've, we've been through this before and he's never done it. And it's been, I think it's just, it's probably very difficult to teach somebody to call plays. Um, but maybe if it's your own son who kind of understands, kind of like how Norvin Scott Turner did it uh, with Vikings and with Carolina. I mean, Scott was the translator on the field. Like Scott's voice went into Cam Newton's headset, not Norv's. So he was able to decipher what dad was saying up in the box um, and then serve that to the quarterback. So I look at that situation kind of wondering, would that be what happens in Minnesota with Mike Zimmer and Adam Zimmer and that, you know, he can kind of, slowly turn this thing over because Mike Zimmer, I mean, how many years left does he want to do this? Right? Like that's something we have to factor in too, that, you know, maybe this is kind of, if this does pan out this way, um, cause we, we still don't know. I mean, the coaches do come back this week they, Mike Zimmer gave them a little bit of a hiatus, a break, you know, now they get to come back and do player evaluations and, you know, move forward from the off into the off season, which I think is a brilliant idea. Like instead of grinding it out, like every other, you know, coaching staff that's moving on to free agency there, you know, I was told there's not going to be any Vikings coaches down at the senior bowl. And that's the first time in a long time that that's happened because um, they're all back in Minnesota because they got the week off and now it's time to rest and regroup. Um, you know, so we'll see, but uh, it would make sense in a lot of different respects. I know that people can think, okay, well, you know, experience, and we've got to put that in the forefront. But for Adam Zimmer, if he does indeed become named, become the next head, co- next defensive coordinator, um, that I understand it. I, I get the process of why that would make sense. Well, and Adam Zimmer has the qualifications as being a part of Mike Zimmer's defensive staff for. Um, Forever, yeah, right. Quite some time. Um, uh, you know, he was also a linebackers coach with the New Orleans Saints when they won the Super Bowl. So he's been around and he's been doing this for some he time. Kansas City, Kansas City for a little bit too. So I'm sure that people will say, "Oh, he's just making his son." That well, yeah, well, Kyle Shanahan is somebody's son too, and uh, that often does work that way in football. That you learn from your football dad and then become good but- at coaching the football. There is, I mean, I, I thought about this last week, um, cause the Redskins posted like all these coaching changes and I texted, um, a source of mine. I was just like joking. I'm like, I see two children, um, like two, uh, like, what is it? Like the lineage, two bloodlines yeah, on yeah. here. And I was quickly corrected as to no, there are four. Um, <laughs> cause Ron, Ron Rivera's son has like a QC job. Um, I believe Jack Del Rio's son has some other job, but Sam Mills' son. It's also on that staff, and then there's somebody else um, who, you know, has, is going to have some sort of like a assistant, low-level job. But it is, I think, it does beg the question because we talk about this and whether the changes are going to take place this week, whether they're going to take place next week, and we find out how they're going to fill out their coaching staff. Like Clint Kubiak, the re- the reason his name was being thrown in there is because the Vikings do want to keep continuity on the offensive side of the ball. They don't want to start over. 
Um, and it, I guarantee Gary Kubiak's going to have a big voice in determining who the next yeah. offensive coordinator is. If I'm Mike Zimmer, I say, hey, Gary, you figure it out. That's why I named you, that's why I named you assistant head coach. Uh, I coach the defense, you coach the offense, you figure it out. You bring in the guy that can continue doing this. If you think it's Clint, great. If you think it's, uh, somebody else, like, that you have connections to from years past, do that. But, um, there's definitely, I think there is a bigger discussion here just about, and we don't have it right now, but there, you know, when, when a lot of these staffs are getting formed and you see people with same last names and connected to these people, and there's a lot of, you know, fist pounding about it and people getting angry of, oh, well, you know, this is why it's so hard to break into the NFL and the coaching circles. And this is why, you know, the Rudy rule, what a joke. Like, you know, there's five head coach openings and there's no person of color that got the job. I mean, it does make you kind of think about the process of how this whole thing comes together because coaching, the coaching community and the NFL community itself from personnel to, you know, being on a coaching staff, it's very tight knit. It's who, you know, half the time. So, I mean, I mean, it's, it's something to consider going forward. Yeah, no, and and even uh, Art Rooney the second went on NFL Network and talked about what a problem this is in the league right now. Eric Bieniemy is calling plays for Kansas City and still can't get a job. Uh, Robert Sala uh, beats the Vikings and then the job goes to the guy that got beaten and whose offense couldn't do anything in that game, which I know if you're Cleveland, you would not judge it on one game, of course. Like, man versus man, whoever wins gets this job. You wouldn't do that. Uh, but at the same time, these are very high, highly qualified people who are not getting some jobs. And part of it is certainly the nepotism of uh, people who are in the industry starting their kids early with uh, you know entry-level jobs. And then they build up and build up and build up and end up in very high-level positions, which you, know, you can say that two things can be true at once. Like Adam Zimmer mm-hmm. is absolutely qualified to be the defensive coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. But it's also true that there are probably other people who have climbed the ladder who won't get that opportunity because they aren't related to Mike Zimmer. So it, it, it I mean, I, I think that we often try to take like these hard stances. Like, I must only believe this one thing. Like, I must only believe that running wins and defense, or I must only believe that passing wins or something. And sometimes it's a little more complicated than that. And that definitely goes for this situation. Now, what do you think of the fact that they want to stay with the same offensive system? That Mike Zimmer made that very clear. I mean, that definitely points to Clint Kubiak being the offensive coordinator here at some point, right? It feels like it, right? I mean, unless Gary says, I'll call plays. Yeah, I'll go that, back it could it. happen. Because, I mean, look, let, let's the be real. It's, it's, <laughs> not like, it's not like Gary, like, took, like, a 40-hour-a-week job, no matter how they sold that thing. That sucker was in that office, and he was doing just as much work as anybody else. I mean, he was the the eyes and the ears to Kevin Stefanski in an advisory role. So, yeah, he wasn't calling plays. Um on Sundays, but Gary worked just as hard as anybody else. So it's like, if you add this in, I mean, is it really going to extend his time in the office? It might. Um, Cause he's kind of, I don't know. He, he t- talked about, I never want to be a head coach again. I don't think I want to do it, but he's never ruled out the possibility of being an offensive coordinator again. Right. Yeah. He said he didn't want to be a head coach, but not an OC. So, I mean, I guess that wouldn't be shocking, but considering Clint's background, it would make a lot of sense. Uh, I think that people would be unhappy with, that being the case with it being, you know, Gary and Mike's kids. Um, and, and I don't know how to tell you 
differently, right? Like, I, I don't know how to tell you, yeah, no, actually, it'll be fine. I mean, they're both, they're both qualified and they both know exactly what their dads want to do. It's just, mm-hmm. it, does this inspire you at all? Like, definitely not. It tells you that the direction is going to be exactly the same. And that's a question I wanted to ask you, Courtney, is when they go into these meetings, because supposedly they took last week off and now they're back at TCO Performance Center, they're going to have all these meetings and do all these evaluations and everybody's going to lay it all out there, right? What they think about the future and which players are going to stay, which players are going to go. Uh, now, I think you and I, from being around Mike Zimmer, could predict some of his actions. Like, he's going to say, I want Delvin Cook under contract, for example. And he's going to say, I would like in the first round mm, a cornerback, right? Or a three technique, as you mentioned, somebody to get after the passer to create interior pressure. And he's probably going to say, look at San Francisco. They won with a great defensive line. We need to draft more defensive linemen. Do you think that Mike Zimmer's vision is going to be different from what a lot of people in the front office and the ownership have as their vision for what needs to happen here to get the Vikings back to where they were and beyond. If it doesn't come to a head now, I feel like at some point it will. Um, Zim was very adamant last week when we talked to him at the season-ending press conference, this offense is going to stay the same. He does not want change. And, I mean, sure, of course you're going to have some change because – you know, no two play callers are the same, you know, in terms of experience, in terms of rhythm, in terms of how they do it. You can keep the same system, you can keep the same play calls, but it will certainly have a little bit of a different feel to it. That's just what turnover is. It's the name of the game. But I do wonder if if George Payton leaves, let's say, like, let's say, let's already put him in Cleveland, say he's gone. And so they bring in a new assistant GM, they make some changes within the scouting department, they try to move forward that way. Um, will Spielman and Zimmer still align the way that they have in the past? And I think that at this point, now Zim's going into his seventh off season. Rick has, um, you know, been with the team since 2006. You know, they realize the window is closing. And this season ended way short of where they wanted it to. I mean, but they still made it to the divisional playoffs. But how does that approach change when you know, hey, this is probably our last shot to do this? Um, and then before that, you've got to line up all the pieces. Does that mean the Kirk Cousins contract extension? Does that mean, you know, how they're going to extend Alvin Cook, who they're going to let go on the defense, who they're going to keep around? I mean, if they're not on the same page with all of those things, then I could see this thing coming to a head this offseason and not in a good way. Um, and that might start from Zimmer. I mean, he might have a vision of this that doesn't align with everybody else in the front office. And if that, if that goes that way, then you might be looking at kind of maybe the end of, you know, maybe foreshadowing the end of kind of this group as we know it. Yeah, that's what I've been thinking about quite a bit. And even Judd and I discussed a little last week, like, what if Mike Zimmer comes back to TCO Performance Center and he's been grinding tape down in his tree stand in northern Kentucky for the <laughs> last week and he's got all these things written down. He's like Leslie Nope in Parks and Recreation where he's got binders on, on top of binders and he's going through them and he's saying, see, all we need is a running game and we need our running game to be better and we need Delvin Cook under contract and this and this and this and this and this is the real vision to win. It's kind of the same as Zimmer's always was. And they say, yeah, Mike, well... I get what you're saying, but we were kind of thinking about drafting Justin Herbert. 
you know, with the first round yeah. pick. Uh, or we were kind of thinking about this Jordan Love guy and maybe creating a whole hell of a lot of cap space to build the roster around. And we were kind of thinking that if we win eight and eight or nine and seven in 2020, that, you know, that would be all right. And we would just sort of take a little step back, take a step forward. I mean, does Zimmer's head blow off at that point? I just, I, I just wonder because it's very plausible and reasonable that a front office would look at it that way. And if you're Rick Spielman, you might have to go to ownership and explain where you are in a lot of different roster positions and how it might be the right move to take a step back a little bit and say, you know what, we we might have to sacrifice a first-round pick here to get a quarterback so we can go forward and be better in the future because of that extra cap space that would create. Like, what, what does Mike say if that's their plan and it's that much different from his plan? Like, how do they get on the same page here? Or, I mean, I guess it's possible that everyone could be looking at it like, all right, let's run it all back in 2020 and make it work. Let's draft the next best cornerback. Well, think about it this way. Like, with them two, specifically Spielman and Zimmer, what if they don't get contract extensions this offseason? Sure, it feels inevitable. And Mike even said last week that he anticipates having a conversation with ownership. They put out that statement right before the Saints game. And, you know, they've been really good to him. They've given both Spielman and Zimmer a ton of money to go spend on everything that they needed to make this team where it's at right now. But what if they don't get extensions? Does that kind of change the the approach? Like if we go into this offseason, like they go into 2020 knowing it's you know, they're not gonna, they're not under contract after the season. I wonder if that might change just how rigid and how drastic things could get in free agency and in the draft process where it's truly back against the wall. If we don't get it done now, we might not be here next year. Like that's the first thing I would keep an eye on. Um, personally, and I've had this conversation with people over the last few, after, over the last week. What if you just let none of them go in with an extension? Kirk, Dalvin, mm. Spielman, and Zimmer. What if you just said, you know what? Go out and play. Go what? out and do it. And I think Delvin probably after. doesn't play. Delvin doesn't Delvin play. Right? Holds out because, now, and rightfully so. Does Mike like, quit, just, though? If they said, Mike, we're not giving you a contract extension, you have to be a lame duck coach, does he just say, forget it then? I think that he would very much consider, is it worth it anymore? Because... Mm-hmm. He's never been in that situation as a head coach. He's always had the backing of ownership, and he certainly has it, at least in name and at least in, like, public kind of, like, um, perception. But, gosh, I mean, you – you if that doesn't happen – because last year we found out about it at the Combine. Spielman sat down with us, and he let us know that both um, – that, that Zimmer was extended, that they picked up his option yep. for 2020. And then uh, Chad Graff and I were out at the owners' meetings a month later, and we spoke with Mark Wilf, and he told us that, yes, Rick Spielman did indeed have a contract extension. Um, they, they wanted to sync up Zimmer and Spielman. So, yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, gosh, I mean, he might, at that point, you might think, all right, screw it, essentially. Like, if you if you don't want to give me a contract extension, I'll just quit. I mean, gosh, can you imagine the buying of the team that would leave, it, that would leave the team in? Um, but so that's kind of what gives me a little bit of pause thinking ownership certainly doesn't want to get to that. But if it feels like it's an inevitable change down the road, I don't know. Like, I mean, but I do think that there still is prove it territory for all four of the guys yeah. that I mentioned. Yep. Dalvin, prove that you can stay healthy for a full, full 16 game season. Kirk, prove that you can do what you did against the Saints. Do it again. Spielman, prove that you can continue to build through the draft. 
um, free agency, make really smart moves, um, and you know, because you're tied to Cousins, if you decide you want to move on from him, like that's you know, find his replacement, find keep the keep the train going, and right. Zim, you know, coach, you know, continue to coach, get get them to pass ten and six, get them to eleven and five, so they have a chance. Um, you know. I don't know. It's 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 wild to think about if they really did go that route. Well, I I will say before we wrap up, it is such an interesting off season. Last year it was okay, but we knew exactly what they were going to do. They were going to change their scheme. They were going to draft offense. They were going to add offensive weapons, and they were going to try to put everything they could around Kirk. This off season, we don't really know what's coming. It could be status quo. It could be very big changes. And I guess we'll start to find out over the next couple of weeks when they do all their evaluations and have those conversations and name an offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and so forth. And uh, we will see how it goes. So, Courtney, when you return, we will get full draft scouting reports just read on the air. That's all you're going to do. You're just going to read your reports for every player at the Senior Bowl for an hour. That's that is Tuesday. that's the plan, and uh, you can. Ch- I'll change my Twitter handle to include draft scout in <laughs> yes. there. Yes, thank you. Beautiful. All right. Well, uh, we are out of time. I feel like this off season we could just keep talking about it for hours and hours and hours. Uh, follow Courtney on Twitter at Courtney R Cronin. She will be tweeting from the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama, and uh, I am off the rest of the week. So enjoy whoever the heck is hosting Purple Daily. If there's breaking news, you'll probably hear me back on though. So uh, handing it off now to Mackie and. Judd with Rami to talk about the Super Bowl matchup. We will catch you later here on Purple Daily. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone.